This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's Morning Show, now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's get to a preview of The Guardian this week. Of course, you can hear that entire reading program Saturdays at 12 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. But there's lots of work that goes into that show before it hits the air. And Don Dickinson is one of the producers of that show and joins us now to talk about a few of the articles that jumped out to her. Hey, good morning, Don. Hey, Dave, just one little bit of input since I've had sons that have been in the service industry uh, and Trevor was a bartender. Uh, pay your bill with your credit card and tip with cash. Ooh, I like that policy. See, Don, some of us are still a cash operation, so it's nice to have some of that quiche. Yeah, because then the cash goes straight into their pocket. Because, and you know, I heard your segment earlier and they were talking about the fact that they did get it, but sometimes they don't get it if it's on the credit card. Well, there you go. Okay, so I'm going to remind folks at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. for the uh, daily polls. We're talking about tipping today. If you found that tipping is creeping more into your life. Hey, Don, let's jump into your first article here and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about tipping. But let's talk about Ravensburger Verlag. A leading German <laughs> publisher is pulling their latest release of Winnetou books, as a debate is raging on social media. Don, before you explain to me why the pulling of the book, let's flip this around because until yesterday, I didn't know what Winnetou was. So let's start there. What? Tell me about the character of Winnetou and how long it's been around. Well, Winnetou is a character that's extremely popular. I mean, like unbelievably popular in Germany. It's a fictional Native American hero um, who made his debut in, are you ready for this date? 1875. Wow. So uh, around a long, long time, and I even hesitate to say this, but even Hitler was a fan. Oof, okay. All right. So, Don, I can already sense maybe why some flags might be going up here, but why did the publisher of these children's books withdraw the character from the lineup? Well, it was announced that they were withdrawing the books, um, that obviously, you know, it was a shock to many people because of the popularity, but they were saying that they were facing accusations of racism and cultural appropriation. Um, Now, there's a a lot to be uh, spoken about in this particular article, but basically the bookshops have reported that they've stopped or uh, they stopped from ordering the books um, from the publishers. And they've also appeared to have been pulled from Amazon as well. What kind of response? I mean, I can see why, again, these kinds of topics really light up social media from a lot of different perspectives. What has some of the response been like here since the publisher came out with this news and their explanation? Well, as I said, the publisher said that it was reacting to many, many negative comments regarding the particular um, uh, book. Oh, there's your graphic there showing one of the covers of the book of this um, Indian brave. Uh, In this particular case... A heated debate on social media is really uh, kind of taking both sides because, uh, you know, obviously there's the racism and many are saying that it's colonialism and promoting, um, you know, uh, a negative uh, connotation of of, uh, indigenous peoples and whatnot. 
other people are saying, you know, like, can we take a break here? Because <laughs> can we take a breather? Because, you know, this is a beloved story. Um, it's it reminded me very much of Huck Finn, you know, when we, we when there was the big controversy mm-hmm. over that yep. and whatnot. I mean, are, are you going to erase all of that and, and not allow people to know that that type of, of, of book was published in the past? Um, so, you know, it, there, there's, um, there's arguments on both sides. There is, uh, yeah, I don't want to wander too deep into the cancel culture cave because mm-hmm. there's no winners. Once you enter the cancel culture cave, uh, whether people are making very just and valid, uh, points about morality and ethics and appropriation and depiction of various cultures that perhaps, uh, white folks didn't have really the right to create. I do understand there's some other flip sides about what is the what what is what what constitutes um, art and what what leeway we give artists. So Don, I don't want to walk too deep into the cancel culture cave, but I can definitely see why this one uh, raised a lot of ire on uh, all over social media. And sometimes if you're a publisher, you say, you know what? I don't want that ire at all. I'd rather our name be not in people's mouths. And it's just as easy to reimagine or rethink what we're going to do and just keep making other children's books and maybe just put this one to rest. Yes, true. But the, the one of the good points was that, you know, this particular character was always seen in an extremely positive light. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, some people are saying, well, why take that away? And yeah. I, it's, okay, I, I am going to wander into the cave. I am going to wander into the <laughs> cave. I, sometimes people think of the no longer selling of books and equate that as the burning of books. And that's not the case, right? Because Just because someone has stopped selling a book or it's no longer available on Amazon or uh, or, or a bookstore, that doesn't mean people are going into your houses and taking the book and burning the book either. So let, let's be clear. It's not erasing. The, it's not erasing the story that already exists. It's simply saying that perhaps we need to rethink the way we're commercializing the sales. So again, I, I think we've wandered deep enough into the cancel culture cave. <laughs> we've probably offended people. And I think it's probably best just to move on <laughs> to something that is not controversial at all, inquiries into COVID-19. So let me, I'm I'm going to read the intro here, Don. Uh, the early outlay of public funds is suggesting the UK-wide inquiry into the response to the COVID-19 pandemic will be one of the most expensive public inquiries ever. Um, inquiry hasn't even started yet. What kind of numbers yeah. are we talking about here? Oh, this, uh, you know, I read this story and I, I was just outraged. Bills for the COVID-19 public inquiry have already hit 85 million pounds despite hearings not starting until next year after the government hired top top legal and public relations firms departments making key decisions during the pandemic have hired leading law firms and multi-million pound contracts alongside specialist firms tasked with sifting through millions of sensitive documents and emails for disclosure so it's going to be very expensive. So as I, uh, I, you sent us these articles, I ended up reading through it because I was I was interested to sort of see what's going on in the UK because we're always so interested in what's going on in regards to Canadian inquiries. I don't oftentimes follow the UK inquiries. Don, my jaw hit the floor when I saw where some yeah. of this money is already gone. Uh, lay out some of these examples. Okay, uh, so as current ministers prepare to face intense scrutiny, you got to remember that these guys don't want to look bad, right? So they've uh, taken on all sorts of um, 
uh, lawyers and PR companies, the Department of Health and Social Care, uh, which oversaw the controversial policies regarding admissions of potentially infected hospital patients into care homes, has hired Pinsett Masons on a 2.2 million pound, these are pounds, Dave, legal services contract. Uh, the cabinet office has hired the same firm on a 7 million pound contract. And it has also hired Burgess Salmon, another law firm on a 9.8, which let's say, let's round that up to just 10. Yeah, let's call it 10. Uh, 10 million pound legal services contract. So um, these are astronomical figures because obviously these ministers uh, don't want to look bad and they want the best representation from the best firms and those firms are going to cost a fortune. <laughs> uh, Don, we'll get to what the families of people who lost uh, family members to COVID are saying about this in a second. I think I have a strong sense of what they're saying. But there's something utterly preposterous about government, public institutions, hiring private institutions when they have government lawyers. They have people in-house who can give this legal advice and they have people who are on the public payroll who can do PR for them. Don, it blows me away that any kind of public figure can spend at this point nearly 20 million pounds on legal and PR advice for a public inquiry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. And and some of that <laughs> some of that's going to be passed on to the taxpayer as well, obviously. Uh, it it speaks it speaks to the fact that they may not have the confidence in their own people, right? Yeah. If they're going to if they're going to go outside of the government to hire these top firms. What are people uh who lost a family member to COVID saying about uh, this early spending before the inquiries even begun? Well, basically they're in the same situation as you and I, Dave. They're just the, the, the um, bereaved families for justice group, which is the name of the uh, association says that basically if they're going to spend this kind of eye watering was the, was the adjective they use expensive lawyers and PR firms just to protect their reputations. Then their inquiry inquiry, uh, would be basically a shocking waste of time. Why not give that money? You know, it, I, I, I suppose there has to be some sort of inquiry because there oh, of has course, to be some of sort course. of blame. Abso oh, absolutely. There needs to be an inquiry. But you shouldn't be hiring outside firms no. to, to give people legal advice about what they can say at the public inquiry. The point of a public inquiry is to be honest so we can learn lessons from our mistakes. Yes, precisely. You know, and I mean, that kind of money, as you said, that 20 million pounds, you know, a outrageous amount of money, it could be funneled back once the inquiry is 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 complete it could be funneled back to these particular um this group for for bereaved families you know which would make a great deal more sense but you know what dave it ain't gonna happen yeah, or... i mean you, you you know that these politicians are gonna get their way because Basically, they're defending their reputations, yeah. right? Or it could be reinvested in the National Health Service. You know, you could ah. train more nurses and hire more doctors and build new hospitals. You know, you could do that yeah, too. there's a thought. <laughs> I mean, I, I just crazy Dave Brown here. Crazy Dave Brown consulting. Hey, uh, Don, let's uh, finish where we started. Back to the tipping. At AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook for the Daily Poll. You gave some great advice there, Don, that came from your family members who said, hey, if you're tipping, maybe uh, give the server or the bartender some cash instead of using the credit card to 
to punch that tip in. I'm curious, Don, though, have you noticed in your day-to-day life more what they call tip creep, more businesses and services looking for a tip, yes or no? Oh, absolutely, Dave. It's, it's yeah, absolutely. Every, every, everywhere you go, it's, it's, it's even just, uh, I was in my uh, local, I was the same situation that I think um, um, uh, Mike mentioned. I was in my bakery the other day and all I was doing was picking up six bagels, you know. And and there's a tip option. I, yeah. I mean, come on, yeah. like really, this is ridiculous. You know, I mean, I don't mind tipping if the service has been excellent, right? Yeah. But let's face it, I'm not going to tip just because somebody's doing their job. A, a little bit, a little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking to Stephen Scott, and Stephen's out there in Scotland, and we know there's just a totally different culture when it comes to tipping in Europe. It's it's just different. And one of the arguments that I do understand is that people are underpaid for the work that they do. I, I'm not going to argue that wages have been too low for too long, pretty much since the Great Recession. Wages have not moved appropriately with the rest of the cost of living. That that's like that is undisputable. That's that's the reality. But the fact is we can't just expect tipping to be the way to to solve a structural problem. So Yeah, I mean you, employers use that. The, uh, you know, m- my stepson got that line that oh well, we're paying you this but you'll make it up in tips. Yeah. Well, you know, how long are you going to let them use that ex- excuse? That's right. That's right. It, it, kindness is not policy. I don't know how many times I've said that on air this week. In fact, I may have to put a moratorium on that expression. But kindness is not policy. Kindness is a wonderful thing. It's a virtue. It's one of the best virtues. But it's not policy. It's not a replacement for policy. No. Don, you're the best. Thank you for this. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. You've been listening to Now with Dave Brown. Hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. I'm Marjorie Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hadjar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.